This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. You're extracting the nectar out of life, you know, like when you're getting up on a Monday morning at five o'clock and it's freezing cold and you go swim for an hour and at 7.30 you've swam, get a sauna, you're living life to its fullest. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, I'm fascinated, and I know you are too because you're listening to this, I'm fascinated by the interventions that we can embrace to live a longer, healthier life. Why people become interested in their own longevity or potential health span. What influences our lifestyle choices? We all have our reasons. Well, my guest today is Joel Einhorn. Joel is an athlete. I think it's fair to say he's an extreme athlete from skateboarding to Ironmans. In fact, it was while Joel was training in Prague for his second Ironman triathlon that something happened to change the course of his life. Joel is the founder of Hannah Life, a company which focuses on innovative ways to improve performance and our overall well-being. Joel, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll get to that uh, pivotal point in your life (laughs) in a second. But uh, let's talk about Joel, the kid growing up. Where did you grow up and what kind of childhood did you have? Um, Grew up on the south side of Chicago, so in the suburbs. Um, If you've ever been to Chicago, it's a very beautiful area, so sort of in the middle of uh, the forest. And um, yeah, I grew up the quintessential Americana life. Grew up uh, first, you know, as soon as I could walk, throwing baseballs around and uh, playing baseball and then got pretty heavily into skateboarding as sort of the you know the team sports. You end up sitting there throwing a ball against the wall when you don't have, I think it's what, 18 people needed to play a, a game of baseball. So got into skateboarding a little bit. Um, also pretty heavily, though, all of these things I, I really dove very deep into. I had ramps in my backyard and things like that. And then oddly enough, I got um, – my father was playing golf and I got absolutely addicted to playing golf at the age of 12. And so, so I was basically sort of skateboarding and playing golf, which kind of put me into two pretty unique groups of people, as you can imagine. Um, and then just got absolutely hooked on golf and, and played and, and ended up going to college and um, playing golf there. And um, yeah, that, that was pretty much, pretty much it. At that time, it was the sport rather than the physical challenge that interested you, do you think? Yeah, it was just playing. Just being outside and, and playing was, was really um, the thing that I, was, that I was after. And did you think at that stage, did you aspire to be a professional sportsman? You know, I, I, I did. And then the minute that I was forced to do it beyond the point of pleasure... I, I realized that I, I wasn't cut out for that sort of singular focus in life. I liked doing too many different things. So I knew myself pretty well back then, and I, I, th- I, I knew that I, I didn't have uh, what it took to just sit there and be singularly focused on one particular thing. So at that stage, as a, as a teenager, as a young lad growing up, what were your career aspirations? Um, well, I actually, uh, as I was an athlete as a kid, I randomly got thrown into uh, the world of, of call it acting um, through my sister. Um, my mom couldn't leave me home at the age of 10 while my sister was doing these like auditions um, in fear that I would potentially burn the house down. So I would you know, be in my baseball gear and, and be going up to the city, which is about 30 miles away to my sister's auditions and and one of the the casting agents was you know said well this dirty little you know baseball player would be perfect and I was really against it ended up you know getting involved in that and I was sort of used as a um, you know uh, the, you know the athlete so if a commercial needed like a skateboarder or a baseball player um, I, w- I ended up doing that and uh, sort of got randomly thrown from you know suburban. Chicago into the mix with all like I was working with Johnny Galecki and Fred Savage and these are you know very very famous uh, actors now and just randomly got thrown into that and actually I I really 
loved going. I was doing voiceovers as well, and I loved being in studios such as this one. Um, so you feeling at home now? Yeah, That's absolutely. Good. And I, I just was really, I, I liked it. I didn't, I wasn't into the whole, you know, Hollywood thing, but I really liked the sound studio for some reason. Um, Is that because you're interested in technology? Technology. I had a computer when I was in uh, 1982 when the first Apple II came out. So we had, we were like early adopters with that. We were the first, some of the first people on the internet, you know, with AOL and CompuServe and things like that. So I was definitely heavily into that whole tech world. You just mentioned CompuServe. It just just brings back (laughs) memories instantly. Yes. Staring into a screen, a screen way smaller than the one that I'm looking at now and just wishing it to work and just wishing it to get an internet connection and it would drop off and it would drop off. I'm looking back to the 1980s now. Oh, yeah. Um, but it were, they were really exciting times, weren't they? Yeah, we were just talking about it the other day. 1982, the Apple IIe came out, and they had the printer. They had a print, print shop, which was Apple's um, uh, program for printing. You could print birthday cards and things like that. And then there was the games were uh, Oregon Trail and Castle Wolfenstein were like the first two games. And so we were like so, sort of the early gamers. And I was also joking that I, I, I remember meeting the first uh, computer computer geek um, back then when like our computer uh, didn't work and, and I was always asking the question like what were these people doing before computers um, and I guess that goes back to like the blue box you know the telephone thing where you could dial anywhere for free but yeah I was definitely interested in that whole tech world but going to college um, and this was no fault of, of my parents and there was no you know weird pressure or anything but it was almost like all right what do you it's, it's either a doctor lawyer accountant, you know, finance, this, there's no, you know, liberal arts, there's none of that stuff. It was kind of like I was steered in that direction. So, um, you know, no regrets or anything because I ended up getting a a finance degree. Um, I studied in in Illinois and then I went to the uh, Wirtschaftsuniversität Vienna, the Vienna School of Economics. Mm. And all of that stuff is coming very handy. But, you know, going back to the age of 16, if somebody would have sat me down and said, all right, like, what are your interests? We, I, I probably would have gone into, um, you know, sound engineering or computer science or something like that in my life would have been um, probably much different. But yeah, yeah again, no regrets. So many of us can say that. If you, you look back to those years, those teenage years, what your aspirations were then to how it actually turns out in, in many, many cases, most cases, I think it, it's dramatically different. Yes, absolutely. But um, definitely having a, a business background and having studied that has led to uh, a firm foundation for entrepreneurial endeavors in the future. So how did you get into Ironmans? So I, that's kind of a step up, isn't it? Yeah. So this was so I am I'm 43 now. So 96, 97, I was graduating from the from the school in Vienna and got a job working in finance immediately. And then they sent me to Prague in 97, 98. And uh I worked for 18 months. We did the first uh, private placement in the Czech Republic, which is a company that's now AVG Technologies, which actually my business partner took public very randomly. Um, I did that. We did pretty well. And I realized that this was absolutely the last thing that I wanted to be doing, which was working in an office, uh, working for somebody else. I was able to get the work done um, looking around my office in, in in an hour and a half what people were doing in the whole day. Uh, and that's right, right when the Nokia communicator sort of came out. I don't know if you remember that. That yeah. sort of brick phone that opened up. And I was like one of the first people that had linked. Um, so, f- you know, faxing back then, it was uh, all the deal memos had to be signed, signature. But you could do that through fax. Um, but you had to be in your office to have a fax machine. So I had rigged it up so I could do that on the fly. Um, email was coming into the phone. And I sort of went to my, you know, my employers and said, look, I'd like to do something and expand this business. And, and, you know, they just weren't weren't having it. And so um, after we had some initial success, I just decided to just to to walk away and, um, you know, start investing and to look into um, sort of other businesses that I would be interested in. And and at the same time, uh, just that affinity for being outside and playing um, was I, I missed that horribly. You know, it's like sort of the kid looking out the window while everybody's playing and you couldn't do that. So when I got out of that, I, I just decided, um, you know, actually somebody told me a couple of years later, they're like, you know, they handed me Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week book, the first time I'd ever seen it and said, somebody wrote a book about your life. And it was just that thing where I was like, look, if I can do 
Um, if I can figure out a way to do 40 hours of work in 10 hours a week, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to have the other time to, you know, do sports. And one thing I've always liked doing and still to this day like doing is um, testing myself and going out and doing something that I don't um, particularly want to do, but I'm interested in. So for example, like uh, surfing. It's it's I I, I want to surf, but I know that the bar to entry is is so hard. Um, I want to speak another language. I want to speak Italian. So the only way to do that is to go to Italy and and to learn it. And so I like that that sort of breaking through those barriers. And so um, getting to the Ironman, the long way around. Um, I had been doing um, a lot of snowboarding and a lot of hiking, and then a lot of cycling. I had picked up cycling um, again. I obviously did that when I was a kid, but got a couple of ex-Czech professional cyclists, got me a road bike and put me in spandex. And I was like, this is the last thing I ever want to do, but I'm going to do it because of that thing where it's like, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you have sort of an ego issue with it, you know, try it once. Um, so I did that and I absolutely fell in love with road cycling. Um, and these guys were professional. So it was like riding in the Peloton, riding in the group and the drafting and, and then, you know, learning the whole history of the sport and being in Europe. That just absolutely enthralled me. And one of the guys I was training with, um, you know, when I did my first 180 kilometer uh, bike, bike race, um, and just, you know, feeling the effects of how I felt after that, you know, he, he had done Ironman and I'll never forget just thinking, wow, like it's a, whatever it is, a four, four K swim, 180 kilometer bike ride. And then a marathon after I was like, that sounds absolutely insane. Like absolutely insane. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. You take me back to the first time I started to train for my first marathon. And you know, from someone who was a, a casual two or three mile runner to having that 26.2 miles in front of me. And this is in the UK. It's freezing cold. It's winter. The marathon's in London in February, March. Yeah, it wasn't fun. At least it didn't feel fun to start with. But then it grows on you. Yeah. It grows on you. And then you become addicted. Yeah. And it's weird how I think... Uh, once you break through that initial whatever whatever you want to call it, like a couple of months. So I decided to do the Ironman basically, and this was maybe 15 years ago. Um, and so, you know, I obviously knew how to swim, but, you know, the first step before you can even start talking with a coach is make sure you can at least swim like 10 laps without without stopping. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, going to the pool alone and in the cold weather and swimming outside and not not even being able to make it 50 meters without stopping and and then eventually after you know 10 or 15 sessions making it 600 meters and then figuring out a way to work together with people and you know just that whole thing of watching what the human body is capable of and you know again that's when it becomes addictive and you start to feel that heightened sense of you know like you're you're extracting the nectar out of life, you know, like when you're getting up on a Monday morning at five o'clock and it's freezing cold and you go swim for an hour and it's, it's seven 30, you've, you've swam, you have a, get a sauna and you're just, you know, you're living life to its fullest. And I think that that was the thing that really, um, actually became a quite, uh, you know, an emotional thing going through that whole process of, of doing the Ironman of just all of the dedication and, and, how amazing, amazingly in touch you were with, with everything. Um, you know, as, as you know, as a runner, I would call it my office. If you go run from six until seven in the morning, I mean, your day is in your mind is completely organized. It's completely sorted. You have a task list. These are the top three things I'm going to do. And on top of that, you feel amazing. So that is the thing that definitely became very addictive on the way to 
uh, eventually doing these uh, Ironmans. And you remind me of the very recent episode we did with Dr. Zabma Zenifar, who's a doctor at uh, Cedar sinai Medical Center. He's 70 years old. He recently did his 100th marathon. He runs in the Santa Monica Mountains every morning, gets up 5.30. He's at his desk having done that run and seen the sunrise over Los Angeles. And he's at his desk by 7 a.m. It personifies the kind of culture that, that you're talking about. Yeah, it's, I mean, once you start doing that, um, it, it's really hard to go back, you know, and in terms of, you know, talking about, um, you know, quality of life, you know, life, go, it goes by, it can go by very quickly. And so, um, you know, being, trying to be present every day and, and being, you know, grateful about the fact that you're healthy and that you even have the ability to walk around. And then on top of that, you know, having these heightened experiences, it's one of the more beautiful things, uh, you know, we can experience. And just before I lose the thread of what you said a, a few moments ago about uh, when you were beginning to, well, when you were looking out of that window and wanting to be the, the kid or the grown up outside in the fresh air, in the mountains, on your bike or whatever you were doing and trying to maximize your efficiency with the technology that you had then to get all your stuff done inside the office. Is that still you today oh. that you run your life? With that kind of military precision almost to get that stuff done that you've got to do so that you can really do the fun stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that's and it never stops. I mean, it start, it's, you know, from getting stuff ready, uh, there's a million things. Like from getting your day ready the night before, laying out your clothes, getting that all ready, having your, you know, whatever you're going to eat or drink in the morning ready, um, having all of your systems, you know, diving into your tech and, and making sure that your whole, you know, your program uh, on your computer is is all dialed in terms of bookmarks and, you know, Google Drives and calendars and getting all that synced. It's systems, as we know. You, you get a system in place and um, and it just it, – it, it literally it takes – it doesn't take much more time. Um, but what it does is it saves everybody time around you and especially yourself forever ad infinitum, I mean, especially if you know how to use these programs. And nowadays you can just Google it. You know, people ask me questions. Hey, how do I do that? It's you can literally just type the question into Google. If you want to learn how to use Adobe Illustrator in three hours, you can. I mean, and yeah. it's so yeah. So definitely, there is definitely some military precision in there. Yeah, I like it. And are you one of these guys? You know, what you're going to wear the next day. You maybe have a, a limited wardrobe. Absolutely. So there's no thinking there. There's no thinking. No, I have this. I have a, actually a shirt that we made with a, a friend's company called uh, One Golden Thread, and he just made a shirt and. That's it. That's pretty much all I wear. It's yeah. very simple. Save, save your brain for the, for the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me what happened. Uh, 2008, there was a big turning yeah. point in your life, wasn't there? Yeah. So training in the middle of the Ironman training, um, already had done some races and was you know feeling really good. It was the end of the season, October in Prague. And um, you get those Indian summer days where it's just, you know, it's 70 degrees, the trees are changing. And it's it's like, also, you're you're in the shape of the season. You know, you've got all those miles in your legs. And, you know, I, I can remember the day I was a little bit ahead of myself. I was I was rushing. I, I was really anxious to get out there and get into the hills with my friends. They were out like 30 kilometers from Prague. And it's kind of racing through the through the day to get out there. And um, just a totally random accident, um, going a little bit quick, going about 40K, standing up on the pedals and taking a few risks. And there was this one area where there was a wall and some women came out with prams um, with the key. And I just, you know, veered to the left and there was a, a little crack in the, in, the, in the pavement and bike got stuck. And before it was like over before I even recognized what was going on and um, went straight over the bars uh, without a helmet. I'm, I would probably say dead or you know, eating through a straw, helmet just shattered all over the place. And then my shoulder took the brunt of all of the weight and the the collarbone um, dislocated at the AC joint, which is the shoulder joint there. And it was sticking um, out of my uh, out of my back. So it completely, uh, you know, it went through the skin. And um, yeah, I remember like kind of like trying to push it back in really quickly in shock going, oh, if I push it back, it'll... It'll just go back. It'll be fine. And um, I was only about five or six k from Prague, and um, I actually just rode my bike back um, with you know one arm like tucked into the jersey and went home. I knew it was pretty bad. Went home, got a change of clothes, and the hospital's pretty close to my house, and went and to the hospital. In a lot of pain. Uh, it was growing. It was one of those mm. things where the the pains was sort of rising. 
So I stopped at a restaurant on the way, got a big bag of ice, put it on my shoulder, went in, and the doctors were, um, you know, you, you can sort of, you can really gauge um, the level of uh, of danger that you're in or the risk the risks that are there by kind of just watching the face of of the <laughs> you know when you go into the emergency room you know if if they say hey just sit down and wait you 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 know you can just kind of breathe a sigh of relief but if they're like look around and and five people come and grab you it's pretty bad and i guess like a compound dislocation um the the potential uh is for an infection and if you get an infection sort of at that part of your body um it's it's real bad like you can die um so that was there. They put these really weird uh, iodine plugs in my back and, and had me – they couldn't do the surgery immediately because of the swelling. And then we had the, the brain issue. You know, I was dizzy and I was – I had a pretty bad, severe uh, either concussion or uh, TBI. And But they weren't really even – that wasn't even talked about at all. It was really just sort of like we got to make sure this doesn't get infected and stayed in the hospital, had the surgery done. And um, the whole time in the, in there, um, you know, the food was absolutely atrocious. You know, white bread, um, processed ham and cheese, and um, it was just, you know, I had friends bringing me some stuff in there. And Why in this day and age do, do hospitals do this? Yeah, I don't know. It's I, just beyond belief, isn't it? Yeah. That, uh, I mean, that you'd hope and you'd think that's where the knowledge is. Yeah. Yet you're fed all this yeah, horrible stuff. Yeah, that's a whole that's that's a whole nother topic. It is. Of, yeah, yeah, but, but it's it's it's, it's one shocking. that intrigues me. It it's is shocking. absolutely yeah. absolutely shocking. And then they let me out of the hospital, and I went home, and I'm like, you know, tr- talking to them, and it's all in check, and you know, my check is is pretty pretty good, but in terms of like talking about like neuroscience, it's it's not it's pretty limited. Um, and so they were just like, you know, don't worry about it, go home, you'll be fine. So you know, went home, and I'm like, you know, I got pins. Um, in my shoulder, actually, I talked to somebody recently and they said um, that the way – and I showed this this woman. She's a surgeon that does these operations. And I guess now what they do is they take a, a bit from a cadaver and they, they put it inside of your body and they tie the uh, the collarbone down and then it just stays there, which is like the newest way they do it. And she looked at the x-ray I showed her and she goes, that's almost medieval What the way they did it. Well, I mean, we're in the Czech Republic. It's social right. medicine and, yeah. and God bless the place. I mean, it's amazing. And But they put wires in there and these wires were going to have to be removed. They basically just put it back in place. And so, you know, they're kind of poking the skin. So you really couldn't move. It wasn't like you, it was hard to lay down. It was hard to do anything. I mean, put a, putting a sock on with one hand mm. is pretty difficult. So I'm sitting there and, you know, all the body wants to do um, in – and this is after, you know, lots of research after an injury like that is uh, you need to eat like – I think it's like 7,000 calories a day, 7,500 of, of good healthy food because your body is mining all of these minerals from other parts, you know, leaching from the bones and things. And you want to sleep. Um, and I couldn't close my eyes. I would close my eyes and I would spin like a slot machine. Um and I was basically, you know, in a very, very dark place, let's put it. It was, you know, w- coming into winter in Prague and uh, didn't have a girlfriend uh, at the time. And so, yeah, it was very dark looking at potentially the end of life as as you know it. You just don't know how that's all going to, you know, work out. And, yeah, um, you know, a couple of days like that, went back to the doctor. They didn't have anything they could do. And um, I actually uh, – I did this meditation that somebody – you know, at that time, wasn't really heavily into this type of stuff, but I was doing it. I mean, if, if you run, you meditate. You, you get in, you get into those zones, so you kind of understand how to access it. Running, swimming. Yeah, if, running, if you swimming. You are in a stage yeah, of meditation. Your exactly. mind is elsewhere. Right. So it's not that it's that far fetched. And um, I had run through this executive training course with a friend of mine, and he gave me this meditation, which was: you close your eyes. You know, the universe will give you a teacher or a guide if you ask for it. In um, you know, in a way that's, you know, where you really need it and everybody's going to benefit one of those things. So I did this meditation and I kid you not, there was this Indian uh, Daba restaurant around the corner from my house that I would eat at once a day, which is a traditional Indian place where they make, you know, dolls just like in India, you, like the restaurants in India, the dal and uh, the, the, the beans and and they make one big, huge pot of it, and then you eat it, and then that's it. It's done for the day. And I went in there. It was the first time I'd actually been able to, to leave the house. 
And I went in there and I was, you know, cut up. And these guys had known me for, for years coming in there and were like, man, what happened? Bad bike crash. And I'm just wondering, I feel like I need some sort of uh, intervention here, like an Eastern healer. I just, that's just what my gut is telling me. The Western doctors aren't doing, doing it, you know, not cutting it. And he goes, oh, right over there in the corner is Dr. George. You might want to talk to him. And it was this 65-year-old uh, Indian man sitting there eating his chapati and dal, and um, and that was Dr. George Essay. And uh, and was he a medical doctor? He, uh, he was. He had a medical uh, uh, doctor degree. He had a Chinese medicine degree, and he was an Ayurvedic specialist. And he his at that time he was translating uh, books out of lost languages. Uh, I, books on uh, Ayurvedic texts and books on herbs and things like that, um, and uh, just sitting in Prague and doing it from there. And he also had a practice where he would, you know, work work with people like myself. And yeah, um, long story short, you know, we met next day, went to his place, and he gave me a whole uh, list of herbs, and he had all the stuff there, and it was like medicated ghee and herbs, and I, I was I had to eat three cans of sardines every day, and all these different things, you know, this whole like diet plan, and and after a couple of days, you know, the he, he you know he had basically said that you know according to Ayurveda, when this happens, it's like the fire you've been shaken, the fire is 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 heavy in the body, and you need you need to just like calm the body down and subside that flame, and and uh, you know within within a couple of days, I'd I was able to sleep and. You know, I was on that whole program for two and a half months, and two and a half months after the accident, I was had the pins out, and then a week later, I was back in the pool. And so, three months to the day after the accident, I was back on the bike, I was back in the pool, and I was back running, and feeling I, I couldn't believe how good I, I felt. And so, basically, what happened was, you know, I was in the pool, and once I got, you know, my my arm, my chest opened up. You know, I know my breath holds, and that's a very easy thing to do. You go underwater and you swim as far as you can. And at that time, I was doing like 60, 70 meters on one breath, and I was doing like 90, 100. And so I, I just, you know, that's a, it's a pretty good indicator as to how, mm. you know, your body's working with the oxygen and things like that. And, you know, I went back to the doctor and I said, you know, look, I actually just researched all of these herbs that have all these weird names like Gotukola and ashwagandha that I'd never heard of. And I was expecting to see that they, you know, their main benefits would have been, you know, to heal, you know, ruptured tendons and ligaments and, you know, but it says, you know, memory, focus, recall, stamina, endurance, blood picture. And my question to him was like, can I keep taking this stuff? Like, can I take it every day? And he goes, yes, of course you can, but where are you going to get it from? And I, you know, I was like, look, I just Banyan Botanicals or this place, uh, Ron Tea Garden. I'd, I research and I can get it shipped over here. He's like, Joel, like this is that's you can't you, you don't know where it's from. And that's that moment right there being um, somebody who's a little bit obsessive about these things really kind of spawned this whole journey of. So this stuff works. You can take it all the time. You don't have to just take it when you have like an injury or a. Uh, some sort of symptoms, but you need to get the best stuff, right? And if you look at something like wine, you know, I think that's a perfect example where it's like, yeah, you plant Pinot Noir in Burgundy on this slope in this soil, and you're going to get something completely different than a, you know, a Pinot in Arizona. So it just led me down this path. I started going to India and sourcing all of these herbs and and, uh, using them. And at that time, I was what, like 32, 33, speaking a couple of languages, um, losing English, actually, you know, because you don't have conversations like this a lot when you're over in Europe. Right. Um, and I just noticed that my, you know, I'd started to take naps as well, especially a lot of training, you know, and oh, okay, I'm 33. I guess that's when you start to take naps, you know. <laughs> Were you the kind of person who resisted taking a nap or it just physically didn't I mean, it, occur to you? It, no, I just, it just happens, you know, it just happened, you know. Naturally, all of a sudden at two o'clock, you're like, hmm, wow, an hour of sleep would be amazing right now, mm. which, um, you know, I occasionally still do, but very, very rarely. Um, and yeah, nothing nothing against it. It's just that uh, I just find that sometimes in life, you, if you're with a, a group of people and, and, you know, it's just, oh, that's just what happens when you're 33. Oh, wait until you're 40. That's when you, <laughs> you know, things start. In, and 
And so, you know, all of these things, had, had, my life had been shaken up, like quite literally. And, and then I had this, you know, this new infusion of, uh, of, of, you know, something to learn and something to go after and started spending a lot of time in India and sourcing all of these herbs, bringing them back. I was still doing triathlons and I, I had obviously always been eating very healthily and um, but now adding adding this new sort of herbal things to the mix really sort of changed things up a lot. And just, um, just going back to the early stages of you embracing Eastern medicine, this was at the same time as continuing to use Western medicine in terms of your oh, recovery. You were you were this intertwining is a both. Complete integration, which is, I mean, you know, thank God for Western medicine. I mean, like the fact that you can go into a hospital with a broken arm and, you know, x-rays and blood tests or, you know, making sure you write blood type, this, that, you know, that's amazing. And that, you know, unfortunately, for many reasons, it stops there. Um, you know, little things like, again, a broken arm, if you if you research it, when you when you have a broken arm, you're, you should eat 7000 calories a day because your body, it's basically going into other parts of your body and mining things to fix the bone. No, I've never heard that from any doctor. And I've been around tons of athletes, tons of people that have had these issues. You know, the type of food that you eat, um, that, that's why you see pro athletes, I think. You, you do see it, but they don't talk about it because they have their own little secrets. But you see pro athletes, hockey players, for example, will break their collarbone. And four weeks later, they'll be back playing. Four to six weeks later, full contact. And that's a third to a half of the time that they tell you when you go to a regular doctor. And that's just because they're addressing all of these other things. So, yes, to answer your question, a merger between – it's not even – I wouldn't even call it Eastern medicine. I would just call it sort of Western medicine and logic. Right. So where did this take you? You kind of seen the light and you'd proven that these methods could work because you were feeling so much better physically and, and mentally, I, I guess. You had been brought alive, I think, it, it, it's interpreting what you're saying. And what did you do with this knowledge? Well, so I started going back and forth to India and working with uh, Dr. Uh, Venugopal, who is um, – you know, I started learning basically it was a long, long process of, you know, about 10 years of, of you know, sitting down and learning, you know, how India works and how to work in India. And, you know, you can't just approach these people and call them with a Western mindset. You know, you don't get these introductions. And so realizing that they were pretty sacred, you know, relationships, bringing these herbs back back to Prague. And um, another thing is, you know, when you're when you're training, as you know, a couple hours a day. Um, there are these, you know, there's these goo gels. You can't eat a, a cheeseburger before you go run. You just can't do it. And so it's all about finding the foods. I was doing a lot of like of hummus. That was my main go-to sort of thing. Um, and then when you do do these like, you know, a six-hour bike ride, um, you need – there's a lot of like ISO drinks and things like that, that that are out there. But again, it doesn't feel right to me, you know, to, to be putting these things in your body all the time. Of course, during a race – time of need, you know, use them, but make it the exception and not the rule. And so I was always just sticking with water and liquid minerals. And then I started making these drinks with honey, just basically taking green tea. Imagine like a, you know, half liter or 0.75 bead on um, and just putting green tea at night, letting it cool down a little bit, putting, you know, half a bottle of honey in there. And then I would throw in like four or five of these different herbs and just have that as my backup. So, you know, when, you know, you're not feeling well, you're bonking a little bit, you need some energy, just take a shot of that. And my friends were like, what the heck is this? What are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing yeah. over there? Yeah. And so I just started doing that. And, and, um, and yeah, a couple of people were, you know, started to become interested around. And, um, and then, you know, I started working with Dr. Venugopal and creating, you know, I was like, look, all of these supplements, all of these different things out there, you know, let's, I want to create one thing that would address these issues. And, and then I, you know, we, we created that sort of algorithm of like, what are you looking to achieve? Um, and let me go through, you know, our books here. And, you know, they, they very well cataloged Ayurvedic library there of all of the recipes. They have everything written down and it's very sacred. And so we had come upon this recipe um, they're called uh, rasayanas in, in India. And also in Chinese medicine, they use something very similar where they'll take 30 different herbs and they will extract them in different ways. Some they will boil, 
Some they will crush into a powder. Some they will put into like a massive tea bag and then put that into the water and extract. And then they, you know, once they have that boiled down, they'll put in honey, ghee, sesame oil, and raw sugar cane. And what that does is it creates a uh, a perfect absorption method for all of these herbs. And so actually, like in Chinese medicine, you can go to the doctor. Like the wealthy people go to the doctor and he'll do their whole, you know, full body scan and test. And then he'll create a specific one of, of these products for them for the winter so they don't get sick or whatever. So there are many different, it's a almost infinite number of potential recipes um, that are possible, you know, using the, the Rasayana method. And so we just plugged in the variables and we created something. So in, in, in Ayurveda, there's uh, something called dosha. So everybody is a vata, pitta, or kapha. And we wanted to create something that would be able to be used by everybody all the time. And so that was sort of the idea. And when I started bringing these these mixtures back and testing them over the course of a couple of years, I gave them to a couple of friends. And, you know, next thing you know, it was like, hey, I need – can I get like 10 jars of that? For my, I want to give it to my grandma, to my, to my mom and my mom's friends. And so I just started getting like 40-kilo jugs, huge jugs brought over. And just in my kitchen, I went to the local bake shop there in Prague and got some really nice jars and and just started bottling it and giving it to friends and wasn't really thinking about turning it into a business. It was more of just like I, I really like to have this stuff around and it's pretty cool that all of my friends are having access to it too and just to sort of – I was so deep in you know just getting that stuff sent over to Prague that I hadn't really thought about it. And so J.R. Smith, who's now my, my main business partner, he had just exited AVG, um, the tech company, and taken it public. And um, he you know basically came to me and I was also going through a little bit of an existential crisis. I was working at a couple of businesses and, and just one of those things where it wasn't fulfilling me to the point where I felt like I was doing – no, it wasn't in it. That wasn't it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And he basically he knew that he was one of my he's one of my closest friends, and he saw um, what what I was doing and was like, I mean, you're looking. This is what you should be doing. This is exactly who you are. You know, I do a lot of fasting. I share all my info with all my friends. I try to be a good example for them, and and that's just you know really how it happened. He's like, look, we sat down. He, you know, we had a a, a hard discussion as you do if you're going to enter into a, which I think is very appropriate if you're going to enter into business it's with somebody. It's vital and important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we had a good firm conversation, and and we're like, all right, do you want to do this? Yeah. He's like, I, you've got you know one half of it. I've got the other half, and let's sit down, and I'll share my my uh, my knowledge with you and. And then you share yours here, and we and let's build a brand. And you know, I've we've got some bigger things that we want to do, and um, so this is sort of the first stage in uh, you know achieving that. Interesting. I just want to go off at a small tangent because we've talked about fasting a lot on this podcast. But you mentioned fasting. What kind of fasting do you do? Um, so I actually started with doing it with Jr. about twenty years ago. Um, there was a website called fasting.com, and this was a, a, all about juice fasting. So it's juice fasting with you know colonic and enema and all that type of stuff. And I remember doing it the first time. JR had actually done like a 90-day fast. Um, and I was just blown away by that. And I met another guy. Which is pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme. Ju- yeah. Juicing, you know. Uh, and I had met another guy in Prague. And I remember asking him how old he was. And, you know, he told me like I was thinking 27, 28. He told me like 46. What's your secret fasting? So I think – at first, it, it it came to me as a um, as as a you know something that's going to keep you younger looking, and so I think it was the sort of the that side of it, and just healthier in general. And so, it got into the juice fasting and did you know seven day the first time, and I mean it was all of that stuff is way pushed aside. I mean it's sort of like the best you'll ever I've ever felt in my life, and definitely I would consider that like the fountain of youth. For, for me. And just to be specific, when you say a juice fast, what does that entail? So those the one the way we were doing it, real simple, two days of fruit and vegetable raw. All the water, you can, herbal tea, and then let's say four days of, of green juice and broth, vegetable broth, no salt, just completely full ketosis and you know, you minimize all of that so you're not like, you know, drinking a gallon of juice at a time, which is sometimes what you want to do. And getting into that state of like clicking over into the point of, you know, ketosis, you're not hungry at all. And you just really go into very deep 
spiritual, regenerative place. Because the, the first impression, of course, when anyone hears that you're consuming a lot of um, juice, uh, equates to a lot of sugar, which isn't going to put you into ketosis. Right. Yeah. So that's why we were sticking with specific types of juices and, and right. uh, you know, green juices and things like that. So staying, you know, in that space. Um, and you, yeah, you can. And actually, when you're in that space, you can totally tell when you get when you get out of it. You can feel it. Yeah, you can feel yeah. it. So so staying in those in those areas and doing that, and then and then that transit transitioned into longer ones, 28 day fast, like with water fasting inside of that. And so I I, I now I do a combination of the uh, Panchakarma treatments in India, which is something a little bit different than that. What does that involve? The Panchakarma is uh, ancient sort of Indian way of of treating certain things and so you can go in there with with you know if you've you've had a broken arm or if you you know have an injury but you can also go in there as a in a preventative way and so there's different types of uh of massages that they do with uh you go there it's usually like 100 degrees it's the best time to do it so you're pretty you're sweating all the time medicated oils over your whole body um, they do the shiro dada which is um, oil over the forehead they call that resetting the hard drive all different types of things for for you know i usually just go with the you know the massages and then you know some some sauna stuff that they do where they just put your body with your head sticking out of the sauna they do all all kinds of stuff and but mine is mainly for you know just uh, detoxification and you wake up in the one morning at 5 a.m. They give you this laxative, like a top-down sort of enema. And then, you know, they just basically strip you down to almost, you know, nothing and then, you know, rebuild you back up. Which is essentially what fasting does. Yeah, it, yeah. It, It's not so much the, the fasting, it's the recovery from the fasting. It's the regrowth. It's the generation of new white blood cells. Yeah. It's the renewing of your immune system and, and all that good stuff. So yeah. it's, whenever I fasted, it's the... Let's say ten days afterwards that you feel you feel good during the fast once you've got into ketosis, but mm-hmm. then the recovery process, the recovery side of fasting, yeah. is when I feel really good. Yeah, and it's also it really trains your mind. You know, we were we were actually uh, Jr. is fasting right now, and we were talking about how it resets your body to you know. Let's say you're on an airplane and and you don't want to eat that food. You know, you know that you can. All right, I'm just going to drink water. You know that you can handle that, um, but also it it. it you know, you, you get feeling so good all the way through your body that, you know, you, you just look at like, okay, I can take a salad and some hummus or I can have that cheeseburger. And literally it resets you to the point where you look at that cheeseburger and, hey, no offense to cheeseburgers. I love them. Mm. But you just be like, I know I don't want to do that right now because if I eat that, it's going to just hit pause on everything, you know. So it's it's def- it's a huge reprogramming. And I think that e- from that point of view, um, and for, there's many ways you can look at it, but just that whole breaking the cycle of the the habits that we have um, that we fall back into where it's like, you know, like I could be I'm in the creative mode. I'm, I'm you know, output, output, output. Oh, I'm hungry. OK, let's stop it. And then, you know, it's like a, you're procrastinating basically sometimes. You know, so I think it's great to use f- fasting to break habits as well. Yeah, I agree. And I should just say, and I always say that the fasting isn't for everyone. And there are medical reasons why some people shouldn't fast. And if you're listening to this and thinking about fasting, talk to your doctor first. Absolutely. Dune, it's, it's very dangerous to do uh, alone. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous to do alone and to dangerous to do well we don't know everyone's condition and so it's dangerous to do without any kind of formal monitoring and and medical advice absolutely it's pretty basic but it's it's the best thing to do so let's talk about hannah hannah really is the result of uh, what's happened to you in the last couple of decades yes yeah it is um so after that jr like i said jr and i had the conversation and we um you know i i've built a couple of companies, some successfully, some uh, not so much. And um, yeah, just learning, you know, he'd been doing a lot of work in Silicon Valley and in that whole world and just had a lot of knowledge to pass on and, you know, just doing things like, uh, you know, the brand, brand vision, you know, three-day, you know, immersive sort of sessions with him and, you know, creating the name and, and um, you know, the product, like looking at how, how we're going to build the products and because I, I have like 50 things I want to I want to bring out but you know you got to stick you got to kind of focus and you pace yourself yeah you got to pace yeah. yourself and so just you know and, and figuring all that stuff out 
how many times, you know, usually in companies, you know, you're a year into it and you're like, oh, geez, we got to change the colors or we need to change the, the name. And so, like, that's just something you want to avoid at all costs. And so we did that at first and uh, and then, you know, started seeding the product, giving it out to our network and getting feedback and doing surveys, which uh, I think is I think actually is better than, than doing focus groups, you know. Um, and getting good, honest feedback from our friends and family, and then just started going from there, and started giving it to a lot of friends um, uh, that were also at that are professional athletes. And the feedback that I was getting from the athletes was was pretty amazing. It's also interesting that you know I think fifteen years ago, especially like snowboarders and skiers and skateboarders and uh, surfers and even climbers, it, it was like kind of cool not to eat so healthy and then you know there's just that moment where it kind of clicked over where you'd have these super professionals guys like uh travis rice or sean white even you know that were like hey like i don't want to become a a derelict you know drug addict at 30 that's you know talking about the good old days i want to keep going and this is possible to do for a long time and and so i think that we kind of converged in that moment with a lot of athletes where they and as you know now it's 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 very prominent you know where athletes and actors and high functioning humans a lot of times are being interviewed about you know what they're doing to stay healthy and so yeah just started naturally sort of integrating with a lot of these guys and diving in and then getting a chance to see you know behind the curtain and just being blown away by you know guys like Travis Rice who do you know an yoga every morning and meditate. Travis is the snowboarder. Snowboarder or Jimmy Chin who's, you know, brings half of his suitcases like a yoga mat and rolling out and meditating half an hour a day and, you know, doing all these things just because that's the only way you can possibly do what they do, which is not only be an athlete but be a businessman at the same time. Well, look, I wish you the best of luck with it. It's uh, an exciting time, I think, for you and just building on all of your own personal experience. Let me ask you this and closing, and it's the question I ask most people, in terms of your own longevity, your own health span, let's not focus on on lifespan, but your own health span. And clearly, we share so many, I think, aspirations in terms of optimizing our time right now so that you can do what you want to do. But looking long term, what are your own personal aspirations? To simplify the way in which our global community interacts with food and and supplements on, on a very big scale um, would be a, a, something that that you know I would really like to do bridging this gap between like what 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 is called Eastern and, and Western medicine would love to do to create a um, a center uh, imagine a place where you could just go check into for whatever one two three four weeks somewhere beautiful and just go and you know all of the crazy amazing stuff the people that you're talking to with all it's all there you know it's all there you could do the all the run the gamut all these everything's going to become much cheaper in the next couple of years and continue to you know do things like surfing i just started surfing a couple of years ago and it's just been you know picking more low impact yeah you can get hurt surfing but if you choose your places, you know, doing stuff like that, continue to cycle. I love cycling. I've been cycling all summer and in Europe and, um, just, uh, some kids potentially. Um, and uh, nearly everyone mentions children as, as, as a reason to live long and healthy to still be around for the children. Yeah, absolutely. And just, uh, like you said, that health, health span, I want to live, live a long, full life, you know, lead by example and, uh, you know, hang out with my friends and, and do amazing things. And do you notice, I certainly do, that in the space that you're working in, and both of us to an extent, that, that this is beginning to resonate with more and more people, that the concept of health span and the interventions that we can apply to ourselves that are clearly going to, to benefit that longevity? Yeah, it's, it's happening slowly. I think right now there's a need for some uh, for concentration right now there's I think there's a lot of stuff out there and I think that's the decision fatigue when I talked about simplifying this this for people um, there there is decision fatigue out there right now where can you imagine you know housewife 28 years old in Minnesota that decides she wants to like 
get healthy walks into the supplement aisle like she's her head's going to explode so um, and I think that's a huge problem. It, it, it yeah. is the confusion that ultimately actually puts people off. Absolutely. And they feel that, well, I can't try everything. I can't try that, 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 and that intervention or that supplement with this exercise regime. It's just too mind-boggling, isn't it? Yes. And also, you know, I've had – luckily enough, I've had experiences with things that actually work. And so – there are a lot – there's a big problem right now in the industry with um, basically products that are using um, not the purest ingredients. Let's, let's say that. And so that's a, that's a big, big thing that needs to be solved because like the placebo effect obviously works. But that – you know when somebody goes in, you know, let's – somebody that you know has some issue and, and you know, they should be taking these three things and they go to Tesco to buy them and, and they're getting orange sawdust – you know, that is not a good thing. So, you know, that's something that we're um, very passionate about in the industry is, is, you know, the purity and the quality and the results of these things and sort of creating a way to uh, enable people to understand, you know, where these things are coming from. And at the same time, when you, when you know where they're coming from, that will then ensure that these places continue to exist. So, for example, the reason why a burgundy is so sacred and is because people know it exists and people understand and they can feel it and taste it and they put up it's protected. But unfortunately in the supplement industry, you don't taste there is no difference in, in most people can't taste the turmeric in their turmeric capsules, right? And so they don't know where it's from and this and that. So uh, this is, you know, in the short term I think that's the one thing is to to open up people's eyes to understanding that there is a huge difference in what you're eating, everything you're eating, um, from you know the vegetables and the fruits and the, and the supplements and herbs, dependent on the terroir and where it's from. So that's kind of like our next uh, mission is to sort of open that up. And you know, I think again, wine is just a great way of of uh, it's a good it's a good example. I think you're doing some great work. Thank you very much. If anyone wants to read more, dig a little deeper. So Hana Life, H-A-N-A-H Life dot com is uh, a good starting point. That's the website. Yeah. And we'll put that in the show notes for this podcast, which is at LlamaPodcast.com. That's Llama, Live Long and Master Aging, double L-A-M-A, podcast.com. And again, Joel, really good to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thanks for the work you're doing. Really appreciate it. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.